For some of you, I, I see you look a little antsy there, and I know maybe it was caffeine. But if not, the restrooms are right over here uh, on the outside over here, and there's one right here at the back. So if there's, you know, three people that all of a sudden, you know, you're wondering about things, you can do that. So you'll know. Um, so Christmas vacation. And uh, Christmas, yeah, I know. Hey, right around the corner. Almost here. Almost here. There's just that one little thing in between, you know, finals. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to bring All right, all right. Yeah, but we won't talk about it tonight. So... Uh, what I wanted to know was, I want you to think for a minute, what are some memories, what are some thoughts that come to mind as you think about the Christmas season, as you kind of think about Christmas and, and what you experienced growing up and stuff, what are some things that come to mind for you? Don't be bashful. Hmm? Oh, nothing, Drew says. Yeah. Giving. Yeah. Giving. Fun time. <laughs> An honest man. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Being with friends and family. Yeah. Caroling. Eating. <laughs> I can hang with Rondea. I'll tell you what. Others. What are things? What are things that come to mind? Letters to Santa. Letters to Santa. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> you know, I honestly think for, for some, you know, you, you look and, and for us, oftentimes we, we are focused on, you know, Christmas presents. You know, people like, you know, what do you want? You know, or can you give me a list? Or, you know, or you hear things like, you know, what did you get? That's the first question you get back. When you used to, I used to come back to school, the very first thing you hear, what did you get? And I, well. You know, and I mean, you know, but tonight I want us to focus on a different thing. And instead of uh, focusing on presents with a T, I want us to focus on Christmas presents with a C. And I want us to talk a little bit about that, about what does it mean about Christmas presents? Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that. So, uh, you know, here's the deal. When this time of year rolls around, for a lot of people, there's actually really no difference than, than any other day. I mean, other than the fact that there's more traffic and, and they get a few presents. As far as this season really being any different than any other season for them, it's really not. It's really not. It's pretty much the same thing. And we look at that today and we think, well, that's kind of strange. That's kind of strange. But actually, if you looked in the first century, that was true for everybody. This season right here was absolutely no different than any other season of the year. This, this month, any day of this month, anything that went on was absolutely no different than any other month, any other time. In fact, if you looked in the first century, then all the people's eyes were on Rome and the splendor of everything that was going on in Rome. In fact, all eyes were on Caesar Augustus. He was the Caesar who had decided at a whim of his that he would increase taxes by having everyone go to their own homeland and, and do that. And so for them, if you were to ask people in that day, hey, what is the biggest thing going on? What is the, what is, what's the buzz around? What's the biggest thing? And they'd all say the same thing. There's a census. Everybody has to go to their home town and everybody has to register. And, and, and if you looked at them, I mean, that, that would be the sum total of kind of everything that was going on. Little 
did they know there was something much, much more important going on? In fact, Augustus, without realizing it, he, he was simply an errand boy for God. To accomplish a um, prophecy that Micah had made when he said the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, which was a little small village just south of Jerusalem. All Augustus was, everybody thought Augustus has all the power. You know, Rome will live forever. And what they found was none of that, none of that proved true. None of that proved true. In fact, while everyone was busy watching Rome making history, God arrived. And the world totally missed it. In fact, Matthew, a first century tax collector who became a follower of Jesus later on, he, uh, he states it this way. He says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God took on flesh and became one of us. Now, I, I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you to let that kind of sink in. God took on flesh and became one of us. The God who is much bigger than anything you could dream or imagine. Anything. Much bigger than that. He took on flesh and became one of us. In fact, there's, there's a verse that, um, there's a verse sometimes, you know, sometimes when I'm finding myself kind of, you know, feeling like my, my view of God has shrunk down some, I'll pull open the Bible and I'll go to this verse and I'll just sit and think about it for a while. It's in Isaiah 40, verse 12. If you look at the verse, it says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, marked off the heavens by the span, calculated the dust of the earth by the measure, weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I could hold maybe about a teaspoon of water without spilling it all over myself, okay, and just kind of being embarrassed, you know, and going, no, no, really, that was water in my hand. You know, that's what it was. Uh, you know, people are going, mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe a teaspoon. All the waters of all the earth, three-fourths of the earth covered by water. God holds that in the palm of his hand. It says he marks off the heavens by the span. You know, it's kind of like a little yardstick. God just, you know, if you look at the closest galaxy to us, you know, like 300 and something light years away, I mean, billions upon trillions of miles from here, God, for him, that's just like, nope, oh, little yardstick, nope, measure that. You start looking, and it goes on, he says, you know, he calculates the dust of the earth by the measure. Now, if you've ever gone to the beach, you just hang out at the beach. I mean, you know, you come home with enough dust to measure. You know I mean? It's like everywhere, and, you know, you're three days later, you're going, oh, I didn't know I had that. You know I mean? It's just all over you. You know, if you go to the desert, oh, it's even worse. It says all of that, all of that, God just kind of, little pinch to him. He takes the mountains. You ever go to the Rockies? You ever go to places like this? I was talking with a guy here recently, and um, I went in. He was this pain doctor, and we were chatting about some things, not for him, but for my sake. And uh, so we were talking, and he's telling me about hiking, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, Eaton Canyon. 
And uh, he was telling me about how, you know, he'd lost a toenail hiking. And I'm thinking, oh, kick a rock. And he said, well, no, it was just, you know, and he's telling me about going through the Himalayas. And I'm going, mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do that. Uh, you know, I thought, yeah, I, Himalayas, no. Eaton Canyon made me want to take a nap. So I, I thought, yeah, no. Uh, but I'm sitting there thinking about that. You know, all of those mountains to us were like, wow, good night. For God, he just goes, oh, put that in a little balance here. See what it's like. That's the God we're talking about that took on human flesh. The creator God, the one who has made everything that we see. He's the one who became one of us. Now, to fully get your mind wrapped around that a little bit more, I'd like us to look at two verses that uh, Paul, another follower of Jesus, uh, something that he wrote to some believers that were in Colossae. And he wanted them to understand more about how to think of Jesus and how to think of themselves. And he wrote these two verses in Colossians 2. Uh, verses 9 and 10. He said, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. For in him dwelt all the fullness of deity in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. So just to kind of take that a little bit of a phrase, you know, the first one right there, the fullness of deity, what, what he's saying there is, he is fully God. It's not like, you know, Jesus was like, you know, hey, he was like 50% God. No, he was 100% God. In fact, all that God was, was resident there in Jesus. If you look at him, what you find is the fullness of deity dwelt in Jesus before he ever came to earth. And he dwelt in him the whole time he was here on earth. The fullness of God, everything that was God dwelt right there. If you wanted to know what God was like, look at Jesus. It was the son of God who came and took on human flesh. So if we wanted to see a picture, you know, he was fully, fully God. But then in the next phrase, he says, dwelt in bodily form. In other words, he was fully man as well. Not like kind of man. No, he was fully man. In fact, one of the early church fathers, uh, he had a saying that uh, he, he, would, he would talk about. He says, that which is not assumed is not redeemed. In other words, if he didn't take on some part of us, then that part remains unredeemed. It remains, you know, it remains uh, uh, separated from God. But he took on all of us, our bodies, our minds, everything. He, he took on the form of a human. He became fully man. So, what the disciples got to do, they got a front row seat to see exactly how, how would God live if he were here living as one of us? They got to see that firsthand with Jesus. And in this one verse, what Paul clearly asserts is, is two things. Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. 100% God, 100% man. And so we get to see it. Then in the third phrase, which is this one, and this one right here, honestly, this is worth the price of admission if you just got this. But, you know, it says, in him you have been made complete. Now, I really wouldn't want 
us to all have to take like a lie detector test on this one and say, who believes that? Because we all know the right answer, right? I mean, you know, you kind of look at those verses, you're going to, oh, yeah, complete, yep, got that, me, complete, Jesus. But men and women, boys and girls, I'll tell you what, we, we really don't believe that a lot of times. And that is one of the reasons Paul is clearly stating this to the believers here is he wants them to understand, you know what, being in Christ allows you to participate in his life. It allows you to do that. And without him in your life, you will remain forever incomplete. It doesn't matter how much other stuff you try to stick in. You're forever incomplete without him. And so when you look at that, he said, you know, the phrase Paul uses here, it's, it's really an attack on this mistaken thought that people had that, you know, completeness was found in something other than Christ alone. Now, some people had an idea like it, it's like Jesus plus, and there's all these different religious things you do, and, and then that's what makes you complete. Others had this idea of like, no, 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 it's not Jesus plus. It's actually, if you stack up enough other stuff over here, like, you know, you have the right career and you've got the right house and you've got the right husband or the right wife and you've got the right kids and you've got the right car and you've got, all, and if you've got all this stuff, then you know what? You can actually do this without Jesus and you still be complete. And it's like, no, no, no. Without him, we remain forever incomplete, incomplete. And so Paul really wanted them to see this. He said, we are complete in him because and only because he is fully God. And so when you look at this, what is the incarnation, the word that, um, the word that theologians will use for Jesus coming and taking on a human body is the word incarnation. It means, you know, he became incarnate. He, he took on flesh. And so what does the incarnation mean for us? And what I'd like us to spend the rest of our time on is simply looking at four things that the incarnation means for us and, and the difference that that'll make in our lives. The first one, it makes God accessible. It makes God accessible. You know, in the past, when you look in like the Old Testament times, if you look in history before this time, God was revealed basically through three things. He was revealed through his works. And so you would see the things he had done. You'd see the things he had he had created, uh, you, you would see his mighty acts, you would see different things like that. And, and so what they knew about God, they thought, wow, okay, God is powerful, we can see that. You know, or God's big, well, we can see that. Um, they would look around at all the different uh, kinds of species of you know, insects and animals and everything else, and they'd think, God's creative, okay, or God's diverse, you know, okay, cool. And, and they, they would see those things. Or through his work, through his world, when you looked around at the world and you looked at everything there, you saw, you know, God loves beauty, God loves order, God loves design. You saw many different things like that. When, when you begin to look at that, the only other way he was known was through his word at that point. You know, through his word, he was also known because there he began to let people in on the behind the scenes things and kind of let them know, okay, this is actually what's going on. You know, you think this is happening over here, but actually this is me delivering my people. And so, you know, he began to tell them, through, but through, through his works, through the world and through, through his word, that's how people basically knew about God. But in Christ, 
God became accessible in the form that was most familiar to us. In Christ, you know, six times John says in, in the first, in, in the uh, Gospel of John, in verses one through four, six times he says, we saw him. We saw him. The people got to encounter God personally. Now, men and women, I would tell you this. What they saw was this. They saw his humility. They saw his kindness. They saw his patience. They saw his joy. They saw his peace. They saw his goodness. They saw his faithfulness. They saw his gentleness. They saw his self-control. They saw his love. And their conclusion was this. John states it. John says, he was full of grace and truth. Now, up until that time, if you were to ask people, describe God for me, very few, there might be one or two, but very few are going to say, man, let me just tell you about him, full of grace and truth. I mean, that's, that's just not how they But Jesus gave us a clear understanding. He made God accessible to us. We got to really understand what God was like. Second thing, it makes your forgiveness possible. It makes your forgiveness possible. See, the incarnation matters because without it, we would be carrying around the weight of our sin. Now, you know how it is sometimes when you're walking around and you feel guilty. Now, sometimes I see people and they go, I don't really like it right now. I feel guilty. And I say, well, why? And then we talk and I think, oh, I see why you feel guilty. Why? You're guilty. You know what I mean? It's, it's pretty simple. You know what I mean? It's, gosh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist for this one. You know what I mean? But what you see with people is, I mean, you know, we feel bad enough when we're walking around feeling guilty when we're not guilty. We feel even worse when we are. And can you imagine having to carry that weight your whole life? There are some people that do. And a lot of them, life is not a lot of fun. But you know what? When Jesus came and took on flesh, we had the opportunity to experience forgiveness of sin. Because in the covenant that God had made with man, he said, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And if Jesus did not take on human form, there was absolutely no way he was going to be shedding blood. That's part and parcel of being human. And so what he did was he came in, took on flesh, lived a sinless life, and then offered his sinless life on the cross for us to provide forgiveness, to provide atonement, to provide salvation, to provide eternal life for us. He did that. Without the incarnation, we don't have that. Third thing, it allows Jesus to really identify with us and understand us. You know, Jesus was born in the same sort of way as many of you. Now, most of you were born in a hospital because you wanted to be near your mother. And, you know, it was the same way with Jesus. He was not born in a hospital. Uh, he was born in a, in a manger near his mother, you know. And what you find is there were things that were true about him. You know, he experienced all the challenges of growing up just like you do. I mean, can you imagine? He probably experienced some that you don't or some that some of you would identify with. I mean, can you imagine as he got a little bit older and kids said, now, Jesus, how, how did your folks meet? Some he tells them, oh, that's great. And when did they get married? Uh, and wh when were you born? Mm. 
really? Jesus? Um, hmm. You know. He had to deal with it. He had to deal with siblings. I mean, some of you are stressed by your siblings. Okay? You walk around, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, you know. They just treat me like this. I mean, can you imagine your siblings? Are you being perfect again? Huh? Oh, that's good. Mom's really going to blame me this time. You never get blamed. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Try being me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, you know, he had to deal with that. I mean, think, think about all the, all the things that he had to, had to deal with. You know, friends, you know, he's talking to his friends. You know, what are you going to do? Well, you know. Think I'd like to uh, think I'd like to be a carpenter. Think I'd like to do this. What are you going to do? Save the world. <laughs> Save the world. Okay, yeah. Kind of guy you want to hang out with, right? You're going. Got a few. Got a few issues. Got a few issues. His parents. I mean, his parents. You know, they're going. Where were you? We were looking for you. He goes. Don't you know I have to be about my father's business? What? You'll get it later, you know. <laughs> I mean, Jesus had to deal with all the challenges that you have to deal with. In fact, many that you don't have to deal with. He experienced all the temptations that you'll experience. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be thirsty. In many ways, his life, because of the time in which he grew up, was probably much harder than ours anyway. Much harder. Therefore, he can really understand, empathize with, and identify with you. And the author of Hebrews puts it like this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. The incarnation tells us this. God knows what you're going through, and he cares. He knows exactly what you're going through, and he really cares. And lastly, it gives us a template for how to treat others. It gives us a template for how to treat others. You know, the, the disciples got to see Jesus in all kinds of situations. I mean, they got to see him in fun situations. You know, they're at the wedding. You know, you want to guys want to go to a wedding? Sure, let's go to a wedding, you know. And people are going, you know, oh, what are we going to do? And Jesus goes, I could turn water into wine. You know? So he does, you know. And, I mean, you know, there's things like that. They go out on trips. They go boating. They have cookouts. They have all sorts of things that they're doing together. They just, they see Jesus in all of these fun situations, and they watch. How does he relate? How does he treat people? What does he do? What's the priority? They watch him. They watch him when he's in, in stressful situations, like, you know, they're walking along and suddenly there's, you know, a, a, a crazy man in a graveyard that's naked uh, running towards him, uh, full of demons and screaming and yelling at him. You know, most of you have not had to face that, I would say, you know, this thus far. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, Jesus had to face that. They watched how he dealt with that. Or, I mean, you guys have been around the house when your roommates are hungry or something. What if you have like 5,000 people and they get hungry and they look at you and you're thinking, hi? Uh, you know, I mean, you know, 
they watched how, how did Jesus deal with those people? I mean, the disciples said, let's just send them away, okay? He goes, no, 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 let's take care of them. And he does. They began to see him in sad situations like when his friend Lazarus had died and his sisters are saying, you know, Jesus, if you really cared, you could have been here. But you waited. You waited. Or when Jairus' daughter died and he comes in and they say, you know, there's no reason to trouble him anymore. She's already dead. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. Just believe. And he walks in and he raises her from the dead, just like he did with Lazarus. In each of those situations, they got to see him. And in all of them, what they saw was he loved people well. And then in John 13, he says this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, in that you have love one for another. Looking at Jesus, one of the things we see is how to really treat other people. We learn how, you know, without the incarnation, our relationships would be very different. I mean, we might have some idea, some good idea about how to treat people sometimes. Most of the time, not so much. But in looking at the life that God lived in the flesh amongst us, and you say, well, man, I wished I would have been there. Good night. That would have been so cool. I would have loved that. Yeah, I mean, if you would have gotten close. Fortunately for you, God has given us the scriptures to where you can go to them and get a front row seat. It's kind of like, you know, being able to uh, watch one of the games at home instead of watching at the stadium. At the stadium, if you miss it, you don't go, what happened? And they go, oh, you missed it. Huh. Oh, well, get some popcorn. Uh, you know what I mean? You know, what do you do? I mean, you've missed it. But if you're at home, you know, they're going to show it 16 more times. You know, you're, you get to see it from this angle and this angle and a wide angle lens, you know, close up. You know, what God has done is God has given us the scripture so you can go back and look at how Jesus lived from the vantage point of Matthew, from the vantage point of Mark, from the vantage point of Luke, from the vantage point of John. You get to see a 360 all about his life. And you get to learn from that and you get to understand, wow, all of these benefits would have never taken place without the incarnation. So, for you... As we head out on break here soon, that's going to be varying times for some of you, but, you know, as we head out on break, you're going to get the chance to, you know, visit family, most of you, um, overeat, listen to way more Christmas music than you really want to or need to, and um, focus on presents with a T. Or you can use the time over the holidays, and I pray that you will, to focus on his presence and how that totally changes everything about you and about your relationships. Don't miss out on the greatest gift, his presence, this fall. Because uh, it's the thing that will totally change your life. In fact, you know, um, when someone, you get back to school and they go, what'd you get? 
it'll freak them out. They won't know what to do. So. Let me pray for us. We'll invite the band back up. Father, we can never uh, come close to uh, expressing the gratitude. Partly because, Father, we can't wrap our mind around the fact that you, the creator God, the one who holds the waters in the palm of his hand, came down to earth and became one of us so that we could know you and love you and walk with you for all eternity. Father, would you help us to uh, get just more of a snapshot of that in our minds? And may our hearts, Father, be overwhelmed with gratitude for who you are and for what you've done. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.